Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome back to part two of your World Cup preview. This is your favourite football podcast. If you haven't listened to the first part, I'd recommend you start with that, although I suppose <laughs> it doesn't hugely matter which order you listen to these previews in. In each of them, we're picking four of the World Cup groups and walking through them. So in this one, we're going to be doing groups E to H. Uh, we did A to D in the first part, but I suppose you could listen to this one first if that's how you yeah. want to play it. Uh, my name is Jack Collins and I'm joined by Sam Tyler Rank. God, how you doing, mate? Hello, mate. I'm back. You're back. That's good. And of course, our transfer group, Mr. Dean Jones. You back too? I'm back. I'm back. I'm just looking at shit, the weather in um, Qatar and stuff, because obviously people are like, oh, but it's just going to be so hot out there. It's going to be ridiculous. It's just the same as any other World Cup. That's why they're doing it in the winter, because the the, the temperatures are going to reflect what a normal summertime would be anywhere else, pretty much. It's so, still quite like, hot, though. It's still hot, degrees yeah. hot. It's not even 30 degrees. Like, it, it's gonna, it's looking at about 25. And it will surely come down as well. We're getting into winter, aren't we? So, like, it will surely... And this is the point, isn't it? So, like, a Winter World Cup is for a reason, because rather than be... So, in, the, in Fahrenheit, like, we're looking at, like, in the 80s here, so... It's still hot, yeah, 80, 80 to 85 by the look of it at the moment um, for when the games are going to be played. But any other World Cup is exactly the same, isn't Most. it? Most at the very Pretty least. Pretty much. I mean, yeah. the Brazil one was um, the next one in America. That definitely will be for most of the places that the games are being played. Um, so this is part of it. You know, suppose, no so. Good, suppose so. Suppose uh, no so. We did see pressing numbers drop in that Brazilian World Cup, didn't we? So uh, we could expect more of the same. Right, let's get into these groups. There's still a lot to get through. And let's start with Group E, which is probably the group of death, you'd say. Spain, Germany, Japan, Costa Rica. Um, it, it's about as tough as they get, I think, in in, mm. in terms of how it's how it's set up. What do you reckon? Yeah. We'll start with Spain or Germany? Start with Costa Rica, mate. Just quickly rule them out. Poor, yeah, you rule them out. Yeah, poor, go. Poor, poor Costa Rica. Oh, poor Costa Rica. I mean, they're also like they're not they're not great. It's a it's a very kind of, it's kind of like an old, tired, not non refreshed squad. Still got Caden Navas. Still got Joel Campbell. Still got Oscar Duarte in defence. Like, there's a lot of like 2014 throwbacks here, but. It's very, very hard to get the feeling that they're going to repeat those 2014 heroics and, and clamber out of a group of death that they were given then. It was England, Uruguay and Italy and they got out somehow. Um, but uh, yeah, that unfortunately, they feel like by far the weakest team in this group and, and they come from a position of their manager isn't that popular. He's left a few players at home that would count as some of their best. Christian Gamboa, the right wing back at, uh, over in Germany, Bochum, um, Randall Liao, uh, in MLS, like that, they're leaving players behind. They're making yeah, Manfred Agalde as well at Tavento. It's not. It's not good. There's not a good vibe around Costa Rica, and then they had to squeak through. You know, in the playoff against New Zealand, it, they did turn it around though, because it looked quite. You know, pretty much like they were done and dusted, and then they were. They kind of won what six out of their last seven. Yeah, to six even make seven. the playoff, that would have given them a, a fair bit of a boost. It would have done, yeah, hundred percent. But they still. It's hard to have faith in a team that come through as clearly the fourth best CONCACAF team. Mm. Like they're, you know, they're, they're the, the worst of the bunch that qualified from that region. And you know, it's not the strongest region. So it's really hard to have faith in that team when they get given Spain, Germany, Japan. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I think, I think that's fair. fair. And we, we probably aren't expecting all that much from Costa Rica. And I imagine that the reaction within Costa Rica at getting that group would have been like, well, that's that then. But I mean, it probably was the last time they were dropped in a group yep. of death as well. And we saw how that went. So we shall see, but I, I think you're right to dismiss them. Let's move on to the big guns, Spain and Germany. How are we looking? Hmm. So I'll start with Germany. Um, they're looking good, to be fair. Um, for a team that... Well, they, they haven't been uh, performing on in big tournaments like you would expect them to um, traditionally. 
but they are entering a new era now. Um, think back to see England knocked them out of the Euros quite easily as well. Um, this Germany team isn't really like the one that they faced then, even though it wasn't that long ago. Hansi Flick now um, leading this team forwards. Obviously knows the core of this team from when he was at Bayern Munich. That's helpful. Um, also, you know, they've got a good crop of players that are all of age now where they can actually influence big matches and big tournaments. So that's helpful. Their big drawback is they don't have a number nine. They don't have a natural, obvious goal scorer. Timo Werner was going to be that man. I know people are probably laughing right now just hearing that sentence alone. But this is not the Timo Werner of Chelsea that a lot of people um, would remember from when he was joined them as supposed to be a number nine. This is a Timo Werner who is, well, he's there to fit the team unit and the team ethic. And they were hopeful that he would be able to lead the line. But more importantly, too, rotate out with the players around him. So whether that was, you know, Sané or Muller or Musiala, whoever it was up there with him. Um, they've got a, they've got some very good forwards, Germany. But yeah, so I, I don't know exactly who will be like the top scorer in this team. It might be that Thomas Muller has to step forward one more time. It's his 37th World Cup, but he can do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> why not <laughs> we've heard him he'll have those horse noises coming out again um, and he will inspire Germany with those noises but look on a serious note like this team uh, have, have come together um, we know like the, the technicalities of some of the, the good players they've got in particular Joshua Kimmich is a player that they'll rely on he'll play like a two-man pivot in midfield with Gundogan most of the time um, one thing that they've done is that They'll play like um they play a four man defense. They they've used a, a three man before he came in as boss, uh, but they'll still look to let the fullbacks go when they can. So look out for that. That's something that they will look to do. They will really look to control games by keeping the ball. But one thing they're not interested in doing is just keeping the ball for the sake of keeping the ball. Like this team is taught to keep the ball, but with purpose and to quickly get up the field and create chances so look any Germany side looks to go into a tournament and win it like that is their that is their nature that is what they are told to do and so they will do it and at the moment we're looking at a team that's got their fair share of like household names and global stars like we could they're starting 11 at the tournament we'll recognize all the names you'll know all of them You'd have seen all of them on a pretty regular basis. They've got emerging talent too. And I think that that mix gives them like an appetite for success and glory. And they all, this is basically a comeback for the German national team. Will they win it? Probably not. But they won't be too far off it if they do manage to achieve everything that they're, they're capable of. Yeah, what scares me about Germany is two things. And they're kind of linked. And the first bit is the fact that it's such a clear Bayern Munich template to it. So you've got the, the familiarity of the players and you, you've got like Leon Goretzka with Joshua Kimmich in midfield. You've got Musiala with Muller and Sané. There's so much familiarity and there. Got, and Gnabry. And Gnabry and, and Manuel Neuer at the back. Like they're all, they're all there. And then what really scares me is the fact that Hansi Flick is undoubtedly one of the three best coaches at this World Cup. Like it's really hard to get the best managers in the world to manage on the international level because there's not enough management to do the best coaches in the world don't want to do that they don't want to be that part-time but germany like spain are in a position where actually they have two of the best in the business managing their national teams and that counts for a hell of a lot in these certain uh, in these uh, scenarios yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. And, you know, there's even that kind of ex by Munich element kicking around here as well. You know, the likes of, the likes of Sula, who has obviously moved on to Borussia Dortmund. There's only seven, if you will, names in the in the list who are at Bayern Munich right now. But of those seven, it's still a lot. It's you'd a, imagine it's six, at least six are going to start. Um, and then one of the other ones is Sula, who's just left Bayern Munich. And so we'll already have that kind of uh, ability to slot back in to, to where he's come from. So, yeah, I'd agree. I think there's a little bit of weakness at fullback would be my my maybe take, maybe take on it in terms of who's going to play. Is he going to play Jonas Hoffman at right back? Maybe. Is he going to play David Raum at left back? Probably. Probably. Um, and so, so that's been injured. Like he's, I don't, I don't know how much football Klosterman can actually play. Um, definitely not every three days, four days. 
So I'd imagine that that's maybe the the area of, of biggest weakness. And that's not to say either of those players are not exceptionally talented because they are. Um, but Hoffman is obviously a converted player playing a right back. And, and Raum is, is a very, very forward thinking left back, an excellent player um, at, at Leipzig these days. And yeah, I mean, look, there aren't many weaknesses to this side, are they? You, you look at it and you think, well, everyone knows each other. The players have, have played relatively well in in the kind of warm up to this to this tournament. Yes, it's a, a blow having Timo Werner out, but as we discussed on Monday's podcast, Sam, uh, we know that there are players in there who who can do that job. Adi Yemi can stretch the lines if, if they need him to. Kai Havertz can be asked to go and do that as as a, as a forward. And when the player those players go in, there are plenty of space for others behind them to to make things work. So on the surface, this Germany side looks very very comfortable uh, getting out of this group and 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 then i think maybe making making light work of some lesser opposition it is when they come up against very good sides that you you start to question them obviously but you know in terms of the group and probably the round of 16 if they go and win the group i think with this germany side will be fine at getting a quarter final berth at the least yeah but will they win the group dean because spain are right there as well yeah um in spain are that they're going to be so easy on the eye again. And um, we we know what to expect from this team. Like just um, the way that they're taught to play football hasn't changed. Um, we know that the big problem for them is that it's Morata or bust pretty much in attack. And like you, you really rely on him scoring goals. And I know that there's not a lot, much trust in him, even though I love him. Not many other people tend to love him. Um, Ultimately, though, um, Luis Enrique is uh, such a good coach. Like he's he's like he's perfect. He feels like to me for for right now. And like in terms of like believing in a team, like he has complete belief and faith in every single one of his players playing this style of football. One of the things I found interesting reading his philosophy on the game coming into this was like obviously to ask him about tick attack and like the way that. Spain play and keeping the ball and he's like yeah but that's not enough I have to constantly find new ways to adapt our model so that it can't be replicated and I will always teach make sure that this team pass the ball of course like that is fundamental but there are little changes that happen each year that we know about and that we are taught to make sure that we stay ahead of the game. And I love that. I was like, they just like never settling for a certain style of football. There's not many managers that can have that or coaches that have that uh, mentality. Obviously Pep has tried to do this constantly and reinvent his teams and, and just move things on. But Enrique, I guess, kind of from that mold, if you're looking at what they've got in terms of experienced players and young players they've obviously they've got it like in youngsters Pedri Gavi and, and Ansu Fati for example like and then on the experience side as I say Morata but also like Busquets Koke Thiago not selected so that's some strange well, maybe that's because Lucho is you know one of his little adjustments you know one yeah. of them has led him to to move away from Thiago I mean maybe same with Sergio Ramos no Sergio Ramos and you know you have to make these decisions at some point and he's doing it. He's moving this team on from a generation to a generation. And like, you can't think back to the Xavi and Iniesta days forever. However good those days were, you have to enter a complete new era at some point. I know Busquets is still hanging around, but, <laughs> but he's still fulfilling a role too. And that's what's important in that team. Um, yeah, so Murata is probably got the most responsibility on him I'd say because it's such a high profile role um is it Gavi that was wearing number nine in qualifying it's Gavi that's wearing number nine at the tournament is he wearing well, it in the tournament well, I was gonna got, say I had to say this. the the Spain squad number selection is a bit of a bloodbath to be honest <laughs> like the first choice keeper wearing 23 um <laughs> it's uh, they've got center backs and we assume it's gonna be Eric Garcia and Paul Torres they're wearing three and four I'm not sure about Athens. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, Gavi wearing nine. It. Llorente wearing six. He'd probably be on the wing. You know, it, it, it's Pe all... Pedri, it's all... the MVP, is number 26. Why is he not wearing yeah. eight? I mean, it's I know Koke has it. last squad number. But it just all feels a bit... I don't, I don't know. Maybe they just pulled all their numbers out of a hat. 
Sensio's wearing 10. It's, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about any of this, frankly. Um, but that aside, yeah. I'm, worried about, that. I'm worried about the defence. Uh, it doesn't feel particularly strong. I mean, Sam, we sat here and talked about this before the last Euros, right? But Eric Garcia and Paul Torres feel like they can be bullied physically. Like that, That's where we're at. Um, this is why they have to keep the ball, mate. This is why they yeah, need the ball. Yeah, all I mean, the time. Laporte, Laporte may well start instead of Pau Torres, even though he might have been concussed in the last game that he played for Manchester City. But if does, he's all right, they should play Laporte. Yeah, like they, they just should. They Carver, need how Eric Garcia, Laporte, and either one of Alba or Gaia is fine, but it's not. Yeah. It's not inspiring all the most confidence in the world. Rodri's probably the best number six in the world right now. So yep, yeah. you'd imagine but he'll Busquets, play. But Busquets is the captain of the team. But Busquets is the captain of the team. Maybe they'll play them together. No. I wouldn't, <laughs> but he might. No. He um, won't. Lucho will not do that. But I mean, if you're starting, Busquets may well thrive here because obviously the pace of international football is a little bit slower. And it's actually been those kind of ferocious presses that have really put him in trouble this season with Barcelona. But it's going to be interesting to see how this one shakes out. The midfield is obviously about as strong as anyone's in, in the entire tournament. But in front of them, you're right, Dean. There's there's not reliable goal scorers. But we also talked about this in part one, right? You don't necessarily need it as much as you might. No, but no. you like need, you need you, if you don't have one, you need a collection of people you think you can trust. I'm looking at a collection of people for Spain that I don't trust any of them. Like mm. Danny if Ferran, loves if, goals, if, to be fair. If, if Ferran was a year, if it was a year ago, if Danny Olmo, if it was a year ago, I mean, it's, you know, Sarabia and uh, like, I know he does tend to score for Spain, but like it's it, on paper, you look at the collection of names right now and you're like, hmm. Mm. hmm. Well, November 27th is when we'll r- truly understand what this Spain team have got about them. That is the day. It's the second game for both teams, Spain versus Germany. That is a massive fixture in the group stages. Germany will start their campaign against Japan. Spain will get the chance to boost their confidence against Costa Rica in their first match. That second one is basically going to decide the group, you'd imagine, um, Spain against Germany. So that's the one to keep your eye on. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. Um, Right, let's talk quickly about Japan, um, who have, this is their seventh straight appearance in the World Cup. They debuted in 1998 and haven't missed one since. So that's pretty impressive. Um, but they've never got past the round of 16. It's a it's a funny one, this squad. They're, they're really interesting to watch. They're, they're dynamic, they're quick, they're intricate, but they're also very direct. And I don't mean like in terms of playing long balls, but they work themselves up the pitch really, really quickly. Incisive, short passes. Um, and I think, you know, against the weaker sides, especially in the qualifying, we've seen them have a lot of, a lot of possession. But I actually think they're probably better when they're playing transitionally. And that maybe means this group suits them. Obviously, Spain and Germany would look to control games. And I think that Japan's best shot at, at beating them is, you know, trying to basically bait them into, into a press and, and then cut through them quickly. And there's a lot of technically gifted players here, um, I, I think. And whilst the manager, Moriyasu, is not all that popular a figure, I actually think that he might be the kind of person that might end up with that little bit of pragmatism coming up trumps here because he'll be able to kind of get through these games without trying to open them up too much. Because if you do that against Spain and Germany, they're going to cut you apart. Um, But I think that them being a little bit more pragmatic, them being a little bit more conservative and transitional might just suit them in, in this group. And there's a lot of players here who have, you know, exceptional talent, going up the pitch and 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 the two defensive midfielders who I think are going to be Hidemasi Morita of Sporting and Wataro Endo of Stuttgart are very comfortable, you know, turning under the press, getting into space and finding those right passes. Um, they're very good off the ball as well. Their shape is really good. And then ahead of them, you have the likes of Daichi Kamada, who has been absolutely sensational for Eintracht this season. Uh, and then I think Dyson Maida is going to play up front. Now, he's the only Celtic man to get the nod. And there was a lot of consternation about the fact that Kyogre Furuhashi didn't go. Um, <laughs> a lot of consternation from you, maybe. No, there was a lot of consternation <laughs> out of Japan, You should have seen the WhatsApp much. messages, guys, when Jack, when Jack saw the squad. I was living. They've left out Kyogo. They're not taking the goal source. 
But oh, they weren't. They're not taking the gold source, which is which is a bit of a crucial one, isn't it? Um, look, Maida's a really interesting player. He he's a bit like Timo Werner, right? He he runs the channels all day. He's brilliant at stretching defenses. His work rate is absolutely sensational, and he is one of the least clinical finishers I've ever seen in my entire life. He misses chance after chance after chance. So it's going to fall to other players um, to to take up that mantle. But they also do have, you know, apparently now the best player in the Premier League in Karo Mitoma, who has basically just come into this Brighton team and been like, oh, by the way, I'm unbelievable. The ball's like glued to my feet all the time. He's exceptional. So I'm looking forward to seeing a little bit more of him. And I just, I'm interested to, to see how Japan's set up. Um, but ultimately, I think that they are well-placed to make life hard for the two big guns in this group, because they'll be quite comfortable being like, all right, you have the ball. And and then when we get it back, we will we will go at you really, really quickly. And we know for a fact that Spain have hated that at times. It's, you know, how Italy got, got through them in the last Euros. We saw them cut through them on, on the break and, and and kind of take that take that possession-based approach from Spain and invert it on its head to, to beat them. And obviously it came down to that late goal. But equally, it was one of those games that you look at and go, okay, you know, this is this is how you play against Spain. I think Japan are more than capable of playing in that manner. And I think it might be very interesting to see if they can bloody some noses. One of my favourite phrases at the moment, as you can probably tell. Um, but yeah, Minamino, Maeda, Matoma, Kamada. There's a lot of very, very talented footballers here in the attacking third who can make a difference. And yeah, I think that I think they're well placed to to cause an upset, to be honest. Well, what's your prediction? I'm going to go Germany and Japan, and no. I really don't want to do that. <laughs> no, you're not. You just bullied yourself into that. No, I'm not going to go for Germany and Spain. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think do I do, oh, I'm not going to do it. But I do think I do think there's a play a ton of space for them taking at least a point off one of them. Yeah, yeah. I think there's like a lot of teams in that sort of top ten, you know, de facto top ten for the World Cup. The big, the big, the big like heavyweights that would be really, really scared of Japan and like. Like, for example, England, I would absolutely be certain that we would lose to Japan. Mm. Um, and I think that Belgium would, and I think that Portugal would, um, and all that stuff. But with Germany and Spain being what they are, and with those managers, with, with, the, with the, the trump card of those managers, I just think this might be very unfortunately just a little bit too difficult for Japan to get over, even though they will, they will absolutely, those games, some, the, the games that Japan play will be some of the most entertaining, I think, of the groups, definitely. Um, you'll definitely want to watch those games against Germany and Spain, but I'm I'm going to take Germany and Spain too. I don't know which order. Does it matter? Yeah, they're going to have to draw lots. So um, Germany get alphabetical order. Yeah, Germany will do. It. Germany will go through on lot drawing lots on first place. Dean, I think Spain because Murat is going to be on fire. Spain, <laughs> Germany. Okay, okay, let's have it. <laughs> Are you missing out on games you'd want to watch because they're not broadcast in your region? Well, let me introduce NordVPN. If you're in the UK, but you'd rather listen to commentary from our old pal Derek Gray, why not give something new a go? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. And the same goes for our US listeners who are desperate for those dulcet tones of Peter Drury or Martin Tyler. There's no need to travel to Japan if you want to watch the J-League or Austria to keep an eye on the latest youngsters flying off the RB Salzburg pipeline when Nord NordVPN brings it right to you. With 5,000 plus server options, no game is out of your reach. Using our link nordvpn.com forward slash ranks FC, you can try it for a free month. And also there's a huge discount on their two-year plan. Right, let's go <laughs> on to Group F, which is Belgium, Croatia, Canada and Morocco. Sam, Belgium look very much the same as the last time we saw them, <laughs> don't they? They too, personnel-wise, in terms of the actual faces you'll recognise. Um, I mean, you're probably going to be seeing like eight or nine of the starters that started Euro 2016 starting here, which is pretty bad, if you ask me. Um, Costa Rica have the same problem. They haven't been able to refresh. Now, Costa Rica is a very limited national pool. You don't really expect the same of Belgium, but it really does hammer home how much of a golden generation this set of players has been for Belgium. This is definitely, definitely the last World Cup for like half of them. You know, I'd be stunned if Jan Vertonghen, Toby Alderweireld, and 
Tom Armunier. I'm kind of stunned they're or, here now. Yeah. Not, <laughs> you know, a bit less, but the other two. Yeah. I mean, they, they, the other two, the two centre-backs, they're in their mid-30s now, 35 each, I believe. And they've returned to Belgium in club football, which is usually your indicator that they're sort of at the twilight stage of their career. They're definitely not at the peak of their powers. Alderweireld has gone to Royal Antwerp off the back of a spell in the Middle East. Like he's definitely not been playing against the best of the best recently, but they're still there. Axel Witzel still in midfield. The front three is still, if possible, Eden Hazard, Romelu Lukaku, Kevin De Bruyne. Like it's it's the same. The problem is, is that Lukaku hasn't really played any football for like two and a half months. Eden Hazard hasn't really played any football for like two and a half years. And yeah, Fitzel's playing out of position for Atletico Madrid quite a lot of the time. Um, the defensive line is seriously slow and creaking. And Tom Armunio has been injured in the build-up to this World Cup. We didn't know if he could make it. And generally speaking, a lot of people are saying, well, this is this golden generation's last chance to win the World Cup or win a trophy. And they've probably never looked less likely to do it. They even before back in 2014, when they were probably too early to do it, led by Vincent Company. There's a lot of pessimism around this team. And I must admit, I kind of share it. I understand where it's where it's coming from. I still back them to get out of this group because I think Kevin De Bruyne will just just do it. He'll find a way. Um, the teams that they've been drawn with, like, you know, you get the opportunity to play Canada and Morocco. De Bruyne will probably just batter his way through them, like by hook or by crook. He'll find a way to do it. But once they start to play against the very, very good sides in the knockouts, I think I think the limitations on this team will become very clear. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Mm. I mean, you actually have both the top teams in this group. So does that make Croatia the top top seed? I mean, this is a team that have had to change a lot since the last World Cup. I mean, look, we're we're talking about, you know, teams trying to, you know, go one step further than last time a lot of the time. And for, for Croatia, that would mean they win the World Cup. They look miles off that. Um They've got a lot of retirements that they've had to deal with since the last World Cup. No Mandzukic and therefore no obvious striking solution. You know, they've used a bit of Petkovic. Um, they've used a bit of Rebic, then completely left him out. Um, been a couple of other options, but nothing nothing major. Kramaric doesn't seem to... It never seems to quite work with Kramaric. No. Um, they don't really have a natural right winger that Dalic seems to trust, the manager. They play Pasalic there quite a lot, despite the fact that they have like someone like Brekolo kind of waiting in the wings. <laughs> um, but Perisic is still there. Modric is still there. I don't know what they're going to do at centre-back, mate. The like, midfield three is very good, isn't it? It's Modric, Kovacic and Brozovic. Yeah. You look at that and you think, yeah, most teams would kill for that midfield trio. But we're like, you know, probably about a week away from their first game, exactly, as we record this. And... Honestly, I've spoken to a couple of Croatian fans recently. A couple, one of them, one of them, a patron, and they're like, "Oh, we could not tell you who's going to play at centre back. We just don't know." Like, there's an option to go for like the old tried and trusted Dejan Lovren, Domagoj Vida, but then they've got very talented young players in Sutalo from Dinamo Zagreb and Gvardiol at Leipzig, yeah. and it's like, who are they going to play? And the answer is, don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty in this team, not just because of retirements, but because they're kind of stuck between. Uh, a veteran generation that's been very, very good to them and a, a talented young generation that they're kind of trying to break through, but it's hard to introduce those in the cycle. So I don't know how to gauge them. Like this first game will, you know, for so many, it's pivotal, but it will set the tone for Croatia. And ultimately, they're probably just going to have to look look to, to someone like Modric and someone like Perisic and say, like, can you can you come up with the goods again like you almost always do on the big stage? Because those two, they turn up. They really do. And they're going to need to do that again. Yeah, and and they are going to need to do that again because I think this is this is one of the more interesting groups in that the top two seeds both look like they have big flaws. And the third seed of Morocco, whom people might be writing off, but I think they'd be a little bit mad to do that. You look at this team and it is made up of some big, big names, right? Bono's in goal. He plays for Sevilla. Masraoui and Hakimi are, are the fullbacks. Roman Saiz, who was at Wolves for so long, and Naya Fager, who... West Ham spent 30 million on in the summer are in this team. Amrabat holds down the deep line pivot role. Uh, Ziek plays on one wing. Sofian Bufal plays on the other. Yusuf Nasiri plays up top. There are some big names in this mm. Morocco side. Now, 
they went to AFCON. We just watched them in the AFCON, didn't we? And they were they were great. They were so they were good. Great. And then they got eliminated in the quarterfinals. And it was yeah. like, ah, oh, it's a real shame. Like a real shame. Because it felt like they had the capacity to go all the way. And I think a lot of people have looked at that and gone, we've played really well, but it was a little bit of a disappointing AFCON campaign in, in how it ended. And and so I think that you're looking at this. Obviously, they've got new management since. Uh, Vayed Halehodzic was relieved oh, yeah. of his duties in September, which is interesting because he has a track record of this, right? Um, he was Japan boss in April 2018 and lost his job there. He was Ivory Coast boss in February 2010, lost his job there. Um, so Regragi has taken over from him. He's liked, he's respected, he's brought Ziek back in from the cold. Um, he was basically Stop. ruled out by Halehodzic for reasons kind of beyond this podcast, but it is what it is. He's a local, people like him. They see him, you know, someone who represents them on the world stage. They're going to play in a 4-3-3. They're a little bit loose. I thought it was going to be Amini Harit who played on the uh, left-hand side of the three as, as kind of twin eights, but he's been ruled out and Imran Loser of Watford's been ruled out as well. So I'm not quite sure what they're going to do there. On the other side, uh, Azadin Uhani is going to play, which is... Interesting. I, I really like him. I think he's he's a really good player and he's someone that could make a make a statement at this tournament. Um, but it's that right hand flank that provides lots and lots of threat across this board, right? Hakimi coming forward, bombing around the outside of Ziek, who's gonna try and cut in onto that left hand left foot and, and, and curl things in and end the series not having a good season for Sevilla. But equally, he, you know, is is such a He's such a good player, and we know that he has that all of that threat. He's good in the air. He's good with both feet. He can make things for himself. He can take chances. If he leaves that club form at the door and goes back to his international form, which has been pretty good, you know, across the board, then I think they've got a real chance of of getting through here. But especially as we say, with those two big guns, a little bit frail, a little bit weak. I think Morocco might well qualify for the knockout stages have you just talked yourself into another prediction no i i i fully believe this one i've like i i backed it at the time <laughs> this the last one i nearly talked myself into a prediction but this one i i fully believe i have pretty much i don't know who's going to go with them but i'm pretty comfortable that i think morocco are going to qualify Blimey. do you know um are canada any good all right funny you are let's talk about canada who i'm really pulling for as my second team in this tournament <laughs> 100%. I wish them all the best. I'm just a bit concerned that a step up in quality in terms of opposition is going to be a bit of an ask for a very, very inexperienced team. Like, obviously, it's been ages since Canada reached a World Cup finals. It was, 19, was it 1986? I think it was 36 years or something like that. Um, it's been a long time. Um, none of these players have ever played in the World Cup, obviously. Um, their manager is pretty new to men's football. Um, John Herdman was coaching in, in women's football before that, wildly successful. But there's like a really, like a really inexperienced vein to the players, and they've got they've got like Eustachio from FC Porto, they've got Alfonso Davies from Bayern Munich, they've got Jonathan David from Lille, they've got good players in important positions, they've got good counter-attacking style. It on paper, like it. It threatens Belgium, you know, a slow team, a slow defensive team. Um, on paper, it can it can probably hurt Croatia if they go for the more experienced and uh, experienced players. The question is whether or not they really step up to the plate, or if it all gets a little bit much for them. And that you know, Fonzie hamstring injury that he came off with the other week is actually worse than maybe they're letting on. There's all these all these factors. So Canada feel like they they're not going to qualify. I don't think they're going to get through the group, but. I think they might win one game. I don't know who it's against and it's going to ruin that team's qualification. It's like they've just got that kind of wildcard joker element to them where they'll, for one of the three games, they'll really upset someone and it will throw the group into chaos. This group feels the most balanced, I think, across mm -hmm. them all. You know, we talked about Denmark and France's group where it was like pretty much a lock, it feels like those two are the teams that qualify. Yeah. This one's a bloodbath. Hmm. Another of your favourite phrases. Yeah. It's fun though. Um, I'm going to go. You'll have blood in them. Yeah, <laughs> I don't trust Canada. They've done well to get here. And they'll. I don't think they'll be rubbish, but I don't think they can get out of this group. I'm going to go Croatia and Morocco. Yeah. Oh my God, that's absolutely massive. You think I'm Belgium go are going Belgium. out in the group? Yeah, Belgium I honestly, I do really think Belgium are going out in the group. Yeah, I, I really do. 
God, there's me thinking my hot take is that Belgium, you know, aren't very aren't great, but we'll we'll get out of the group and then come out. And then you guys are sat there blowing that up. Wow. Well, I'm going to go Belgium and Morocco. I think Croatia might be the full guys this time around. Yeah. I'm just going to go for Belgium and Croatia. Just keep it clean, <laughs> just keep, keep it clean lads. Yeah, let's <laughs> get one out too. Keep it secret, <laughs> keep it safe. Right, um, let's go on uh, to Group G then, uh, where we have the favourites, Brazil, uh, Serbia, Switzerland and Cameroon. Seems only right to talk about Brazil because they come into this with pretty much everything in their favour, don't they? Oh, well, yeah, there's one problem for them. For one, there's one problem. Argentina are also in the World Cup. That's basically it. Obviously, they've just they've just played each other in the Copa America final recently and, and Argentina have come out the victors. Um, Argentina have ended their own kind of international hoodoo there in terms of silverware. It had been a long time, hadn't it? I'm yeah. thinking 28 years or something like that. It had been. That's a long... That's like almost my entire lifetime. Um, and yet Argentina have been also supposed to have been an international powerhouse that entire time, but pretty much that entire time they hadn't won anything. I mean, it's a long time. It's a long time. So well done to them for finally finally getting that off their backs. Um, I'd be more than interested in in that trend for my own nation coming to a halt as well for this World Cup. But yeah, I mean, other than Argentina, Brazil are just like, they should be looking at pretty much everybody else in this tournament and thinking, yep, we're better than you. Yep, we'll beat you. I, I really do feel like it's that, it's that simple. There's There's... There's potentially just the one team that's better than Brazil. And they are always fantastic guests at the World Cup, aren't they? Like they're always great to watch. They're always when you see the Brazil shirt, like you know it's you know it's time for the World Cup. Like it's just got for me, it's just got that kind of feel to it, that kind of vibe to it. And um there's a lot of pressure on them as usual. They're a very good team, as usual. A lot of people have made a lot about their fullback situation, but I don't think it's as weak as as some people realize i think you just have to have the same name as the other person to qualify right we've got danny alves and danilo and then on the other side two alexes yeah (laughs) absolutely uh but i mean i think we're gonna see edda militat when and and then one of the alexes on the left and like it's gonna be it's gonna be fine they've got a great team they've got a ridiculous array of wide forwards and 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 goal scorers you know gabby martinelli and gabriel jesus neymar richarlison vinicius jr Rodrigo it's they're just like it's just crazy absolutely crazy they're solid in midfield they're very well coached Chiche's been in this job a long time Brazil managers don't tend to get six years but he's got six years and it's probably time for him to deliver so a lot of pressure on Neymar a lot of expectation but a lot of things a lot of reasons to believe that Brazil can can very much do it they are one of the two best teams I think in this World Cup yeah yeah, I think mm. I think that's fair. Um, Dean, second place. I mean, on paper, it's a shootout between the two S's from Europe, Serbia and Switzerland, who famously don't like each other very much, uh, which is which is good for vibes. But it it is yeah. an interesting matchup. Yeah, um, I mean, Serbia. I'll start with their first group game is against Brazil, um, so that's obviously their toughest game. And Serbia, they could be the most fun team to watch at this World Cup. If they if they go for it with the same attitude that they've had recently, then they could be a lot of fun. They don't put too much emphasis on worrying about the defence. It's all about like, <laughs> let's be patient, but look to attack as soon as we possibly can. And typically, Milinkovic-Savic will pull the strings in the middle of the field. Um, he'll look to let one of the fullbacks free. And then in the middle, you've got Mitrovic or, or Vlavic to, to finish off chances, whichever one. Obviously, Mitro's got a, um, an injury at the moment, so he might not start the tournament. But if he doesn't, you've got the Juventus number nine to come in. Like, not a bad place to be in for Serbia. So goals aren't really going to be a problem, it looks like. But, um, you know, the issue that they're going to have is finding this balance to actually get through a tournament because you can't just get by on, on vibes, unfortunately, and like just going for it. You might get for a couple of games and produce a couple of amazing results. But, you know, Serbia, if they were to completely fulfill their ambitions and they're, what they're capable of, I mean, I saw their coach talking about semi-finals. Like, that's that's how good they think this crop of players is. I don't think that's probably going to happen. But that just gives you an idea of what they feel 
they are actually capable of here. They they obviously finished in, in qualifying ahead of Portugal. So again, like another reason to take them seriously. They are optimistic. They believe in themselves. Um, they can just be a little bit frail. Like that defensively, they're not great. So the games like that Brazil one, it might be a high score in the start to the the group, to be honest. Like who knows? Um, but ultimately, what I think that we'll see is a team that are really easy on the eye and probably might become everybody's second team. I'd say that's probably Apart fair to Sam, say. who's already declared his as Canada. Yeah, Sam's walked away from the screen right now. That's how, that's how little interest he's got in the Serbia team right now. But certainly for me, they're going to be my second team. Um, and they're an underdog. If you want an underdog to follow, Serbia's a good bet. Um, and then on the flip of Serbia, who are fun and joyous and a bit mental you know, yeah ready to go on vibes you've got switzerland you don't believe in any of those things um <laughs> this is a very very well structured organized serious team um and when i say serious i mean let's take them seriously because they know how to set up for a football match they obviously came back against france in the euros and, and beat them on penalties and they lost to spain but like they've taken so much belief from that they they're built on trying to control games and they will do that. Um, But ultimately, looking at the kind of players that they're going to rely on, I mean, Granit Xhaka is going to be key to them. He won't play the same role that he does at Arsenal. Uh, Be much more of the old defensive-minded Xhaka. But obviously, the fact that he has played in that way for Arsenal is now going to be in his mind to probably try it occasionally and like look to control in that way too. Um, Shakiri is still an important matter. When it comes to goals, Briel and Bolo is likely to be the one that you're looking at. He's currently at, at Monaco. He was their top goal scorer in qualifying. He's a player that I like, but I'm never wholly convinced by, if I'm totally honest. I don't don't feel like you can rely on him for finishing all the big chances, but he is a good player. So at least they have got a decent striker for this moment in time. But they're massive outsiders to actually like go on and win the trophy. But obviously, that's not really their intention. Their intention will be to get out of this group and then see what they can do. Like, getting to the knockouts is a place where they feel that they can try and prey on some vulnerable teams who are bigger than them. So they've had a great 18 months or so, and they will feel that they can be the surprise side in this group. In fact, they might not even consider themselves a surprise side anymore. They probably feel that they are should be considered genuine contenders to get out. Yeah, and, and they probably should, to be perfectly honest with you. That's that's where we're at right now because they are, as you say, they're serious. They're another one, Sam, of those sides that you imagine that, you know, the second tier of, of favourites here are like, oh, just please don't give us Switzerland. Like, they're <laughs> the kind of annoying side that will just like yeah. grind out a one nil <clears throat> win over us and we just won't be able to break down. Then they're, they're not fun to watch, let's be honest. But... They are good at tournament football. They are good at knockout football. Yeah, I'm willing to give them a, an illustrious title. Um, in a World Cup context, I think that they can be named chief party poopers yeah. because they're just like, yeah, D- you and Dean have basically sat there and summed it all up. They're not always amazing to watch, but they're very functional, very reliable, very stingy at points, very experienced and level-headed. And... If you don't get it spot on against Switzerland, you are going to lose and you cannot underestimate them. Um, I'm actually really excited to see if um, Noah Okafor can make this a bit of a breakout tournament for himself. Yeah. Uh, Red Bull Salzburg player. Um, he's got a handful of caps now for, for the for the, the senior team, eight, eight I think it is, with a couple of goals. But in Bolo, Dean's right, in Bolo, like he has his moments. Like for 20 minutes, he looks like he's transformed into like like an absolute world beater. And then he kind of goes off the boil again. Um, he's never really been able to find that consistency at club level, which has held him back. But like if he catches fire in the tournament setting, like he is a massive problem. Massive problem. And I look through the squad and I look at like the 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 possibility or the the oh, the chance to be, you know play against Dennis Zachariah and Granite Xhaka and Fabian Scher and Jan so I don't want to play those guys. They're going to yeah. ruin my day. They're going to yeah. absolutely ruin my day. So, yeah, definitely one of those teams that you'd be mad to underestimate. And um, I think I like them more than Serbia, to be honest with you, in a, in a qualification context. Okay. All right. Let's talk quickly about Cameroon, who are 
A bit mad, actually. Uh, obviously, they came third at AFCON. It was a home AFCON back in January. Uh, in the dugout, they have Rigobert Song, who Woo! was a bit of a legend, pretty much across the across the globe, really. He's big, big national icon uh, in Cameroon. And I just think it's, it's going to be very interesting. They are one of those teams that doesn't give any quarter. They are absolutely full throttle. I mean, Song was like this on the pitch, right? So it's the... The kind of attitude he's tried to instill within his his team. They, they're going to be aggressive. They're going to be tenacious. They they will play without fear. I think they're going to play in a four four two. Although he has experimented a little bit with a back three, but what they will do, they're going to they're going to press like demons off the ball. And then when they win it back, they just go long. They are like, we're going straight to the big men up top. Uh, we're going to try and win those flick ons, win those second balls, uh, and get the ball into Vincent Aboubacar, who's obviously the captain and the main goal-scoring threat, uh, and also Eric Maxime Choupo-Moting, who has 10 in his last nine for Bayern Munich. Uh, they have a dual goal-scoring threat there up top, and it's going to be very exciting to see how they play it. I mean, in the middle, they have Anguissa, who has been sensational. He's one of the first team sheets on the uh, uh, names on the team sheet in Napoli this season. His ball-carrying ability is incredible. His work rate is sensational and he can carry and, and break lines as well. And I think it's going to be very interesting. Um, look, they, they are going to play for set pieces. They're good at them. They are going to play long. They're going to try and get crosses into the box for those two strikers. Abubakar uh, got eight in seven at AFCON. And I think last week or the week before, he doubled down on his claim against Mohamed Salah saying that he could do what Salah does if he was in an elite team. So I imagine he's going to look to the World Cup as an opportunity <laughs> to back that kind of claim up. It's pretty bold. Really, yeah, it is quite bold, but I mean, I respect his audacity. Um, he's a massive aerial threat. He can get in behind defensive lines. He's really good from the penalty spot. And I, I think that they're going to be a, a handful, if I'm honest. You know, those kind of games where they're just like, right, get long and get to the big men. People are going to be like, oh, I just really don't want to have to deal with... You know what you're saying about, I don't want to have to deal with Switzerland's defensive unit. Mm. So I don't have to deal with Cameroon's attacking unit, especially <laughs> if they're just going to pump balls at them for the entire game. And that is what they're going to do. They are going to be direct and long, and they are going to try and just utilise that in order to to try and smash stuff up, I think. And it's going to be interesting to see how this pans out. I just think the quality of the rest of the group might just be too much for them. So I'm going to go... Brazil and Serbia. Yeah, I figured you might. Um, and sad to see you turning your back officially on your namesake, Cameroon fullback, Collins Faye. Um, oh, 50 yeah. cap, 50 cap Collins Faye. Um, uh, betrayed. Betrayed by Jack Collins. Well, it was, I was I was more upset that Jamalu Collins's Nigeria didn't uh, <laughs> didn't didn't qualify to be perfectly honest because yeah. he wears Jay Collins on his shirt, um, oh. which may really please, but alas, yeah, no, he's no, not no. there either. Uh, I'll take I'll take Brazil, Switzerland. Yeah, I think so. Um, there's going to be a couple of nil nils between the three teams that we've just mentioned, just because no one can get the better of each other. It's going to throw it right into chaos. But uh, I think in that scenario where the the margins are super fine, that's where Switzerland come to play. Mm, yeah, agreed, Dean. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go against Mitro, am I? Um, <laughs> so it's, it's Brazil and Serbia for me. I. I I think that Switzerland have got a really good team, though. I really do. So it's kind of toss of a coin. Right, to Group H, the final group, which consists of Portugal, Uruguay, South Korea and Ghana. So I have three of the four teams in this group, which is exciting. Um, so we'll talk about Portugal first. Now, the uh -oh. big news that has sort of come out of <laughs> Portugal's camp the last couple of days is basically Bruno Fernandes giving Cristiano Ronaldo a very cold welcome Good. to the party. Very it. cold. It wasn't pretty. I thought and he dealt with it well. I thought, I thought fair play to him. Yeah. Well, I mean... He, he was like, Portugal I will shake your hand, but I'm also, I'm going to go and stand over here now. Yeah. Portugal like immediately. were quick to be like, it was a joke. It was a joke. It was a Christmas oh. joke, but, Christmas. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't didn't look like a joke to me. And I do wonder if that relationship between the two of them, and of course, Diogo Dalot, who will also be part of that dressing room, 
is a little bit soured by the You can't revelation. expect them not to take that personally, though. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, it's, it's their like, team they play might, for. So Eric Ten Hag has given Bruno back, like, his verve and given Diogo Dalot the spot of right back. He's like, this bloke doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, like, <laughs> he's made him captain. <laughs> he's made him right back. <laughs> it's not a... Um, it's not a great place to be, I'd imagine, yeah. that dressing room right now. But I imagine they will get over it by the time that this tournament starts and they get fully into Portugal mode. Uh, they can bicker over it at the end of end of the... Yeah. Once Ronaldo's back on the bench. But it's an interesting one. Well, not, here. not here. Not here. No, no chance. No. Fernando Sanchez is the most conservative man of all time. Yeah. He, will, he will concede to Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> um, look, this squad is excellent. Um, but equally, Portugal have gone out at either the group stage or the round of 16 in the last three World Cups. So the question remains whether they can actually challenge at the, at the sharp end of the tournament. Um, Sanchez is incredibly conservative. Um, he, he, There are lots of people who think that his kind of defensive style of play is starting to hamper the Celestial rather than benefiting them. But, but they are incredibly difficult to beat. Right, they've they've played thirty two games in the last three years, and they've lost five of them, and they've never lost by more than a single goal. They might not be pretty, but it's effective, and we've talked about it already. But that can be massively beneficial in in knockout football. Um, he sticks to a four two three one. The two defensive midfielders are often William Carvalho and Ruben Neves, so they have two players there who you know, sit. Ruben Neves sprays. Carvalho doesn't ever lose the ball. I think I've ever seen him lose the ball in his entire career. So there's that. Um, and Bruno plays in front of them. Uh, out wide, they haven't got all that many options because of the injuries to uh, Pedro Neto and Diego Jota. Means that it's probably going to be Rafael Leal, Bernardo Silva, which is not bad. It's, 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 it's about as good as you can get, in fact. Let's just be honest. Uh, Diego Costa is going to play in goal. He's been excellent, although apparently there's rumours of an injury in training camp, which is a bit of a concern. And at the back, you know, they have a little bit of... Well, I would say there's a little bit of a mess at centre-back. Danilo Pereira's played there a lot with Ruben Dias, so it's going to be very interesting to see how they play that one out. But Cancelo, Nuno Mensch, Rafael Guerrero, they have incredible full-backs as well. So... On paper, Portugal are really, really good, but just they haven't really shown us that very much. You know, no. it, we saw it, we didn't see it all that often in the knockout stages and that ability to, to bottle a game late on was crucial when they lost to Serbia and got knocked out of the automatic spot. They cruised through in the actual in the actual uh, playoffs between, they, they, they beat Turkey very, very comfortably uh, and then beat north macedonia as well and everyone was like okay that's fine they're back um but yeah it's just the questions are massive over how they actually get this side to work and you know cristiano ronaldo is still an elite goal scorer but he doesn't do very much else these days and actually how they get that ammunition to him and if these players are going to be supplying him with with ammunition considering how the attitudes are going look the, the portuguese newspapers have started to turn on Cristiano, and that's something I never thought I would see. You know, it was you know there were headlines saying Cristiano is now a, a net negative to Ooh. the Celestial, not a positive. That's not what you want to be reading. And, and but Sanchez will not change. He is not going to be someone who goes here and goes, oh maybe I was wrong. You know, maybe maybe it's time to give Andre Silva a run. And you know, Andre Silva is clearly not as good a goal scorer and has had nowhere near the career that Cristiano Ronaldo has had. But would his profile fit this side a little bit better? I think the answer is yes. I think that he would be much more of a facilitator for the other t players in this team, but it's not going to happen. So we can't really just assume. It's a bit like being like, well, if Kante was playing for France, they might be better. There's absolutely no chance he starts with Andre Silva up front. So the point in discussing it is almost moot, right? Because mm. we know what he's going to do. It's going to be more of the same. It's going to be more of what we expected. The only thing that might come in their favour is that Liao has basically been freed by the other injuries on his wing. And he might take this opportunity to go and shine. And we know his ability to just make something happen out of nothing. And maybe that will turn things in Portugal's favour. But I am uncomfortable with putting them in anywhere near the favourites bracket when they've been so stodgy and so difficult to watch and so bad at scoring goals for so much of this year. I'm afraid the reality with Portugal nowadays is that the talent that you read off the squad list just doesn't really correlate and then translate into good functioning football performances quite a lot of the time. 
Um, I hope it. I hope for their sake it, it changes for this World Cup and and, and these group stage games. But it, there's there's not a lot on the pitch that you see. Like you you read the you read the squad list and you think right okay okay I understand where they're going with this. I know what the coach wants to do. I know they want to be uh, structurally solid, but they never like they never actually feel like they're that hard to beat, or at least they did not in the Euros. Like hard to score against maybe is probably the better way to put it. Um, they don't. They I don't think this is a team that can sit there and actually grind out clean sheets. Um, they might only concede one or something like that, but they uh, they invite so much pressure on themselves and then the attack lacks any kind of fluency. And Jack, you're talking about Rafa Liao and like, obviously I really hope he plays, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's still on the bench because Otavio has been given the the left wing role. You know, that that's the to sort of fair, thing. Where... Otavio's playing beautifully for Porto at the moment. Yeah, he's a really good player and he was also the hero of the playoffs. Um, so he probably earned his, and also Leao hasn't scored for Portugal in 11 no. games yeah uh, which is which is very interesting they've had to call up uh, an uncapped player in Antonio Silva who we really like obviously from Benfica but an uncapped centre-back has had to step into the void glad he got the in, yeah injuries to Pepe and I don't know man I just Cancelo's not playing well at the moment and uh, I don't know I don't know I want them to be better. I'm like every other Portuguese person. Like I want them to be better, but they just rarely show it. And the yeah. lack of fluency running through the team, it, it, it pulls the attack down. And um, it, it find, they find it, I think they find it really hard to get their foot on the ball in games. And therefore it always kind of feels like it's against, it plays against them. And, uh, yeah, uh, agree. Well, I mean, it might open the door for Uruguay, right, Sam? I mean, it, yeah, it might do. Um, They've been rocked by a big injury uh, to Ronald Araujo, but you know, trying to step away from that and trying to focus on on the good bits. They still got Fede Valverde, who's absolutely awesome. They still got Rodrigo Bentancur, and they got Darwin Nunez, um, three players that have the ability to to really change the game and and make a statement for Uruguay in this tournament. Um, they changed managers finally. Uruguay, for those that don't know, they moved away. Um, from 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 the tried and trusted, and by tried and trusted, I mean the the very much tried and trusted Oscar Tabares, who was in charge for I think it was three World Cups and six Copa Americas in a row. Um, it's a hell of a stint. They moved to Diego Alonso. Not that much has actually changed in terms of like the shape of the team, but they are a little bit more expansive where possible. Darwin Nunez, part of a strike partnership. Suarez and Cavani still going. Both thirty five years of age. Neither can play her full ninety minutes. They'll probably play like a like a tag team role, like the hand hands the bat on after the first hundred meters to the next guy, and Darwin will be there crashing the back post. Uruguay have got some good players. They've got some really good midfielders. I'm interested to see what they can do to see if they can take advantage of some Portuguese dysfunction. But I do think that there is like a natural ceiling on on just how many games that Uruguay can grind their way through. Um, and without Araujo at the back, who's just like this brilliant, you know, 1v1 defensive operator who can take away a team's best player. I think we will see in our minds, Uruguay will be more solid than they actually are. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. It's good um, though, because it opens it up. It does open the group up. And it's a bit of a weird group, to be perfectly honest, because I don't feel like anyone feels like they're in great place ahead of the World Cup. and go to Ghana and, and South Korea, but start with Ghana. They had the worst AFCON they've had in 15 years. They were eliminated in the group stages. They got rid of their manager and they appointed Otto Addo, um, who played for their first, for Ghana in their first ever World Cup in 2006. Uh, they squeezed past Nigeria on away goals in the playoffs, which is impressive in itself, right? Like that, that needs to be made a point of because this Nigeria side are very, very good. But since then... The performances haven't been great. Like they lost three 0 to Brazil and really offered absolutely nothing. There's nothing wrong with losing to Brazil, but they offered sod all, frankly. Uh, and then they played Nicaragua and squeezed past by a single goal. It, it wasn't, it wasn't good to watch. And so, kind of, despite the fact that Ado has a good coaching CV in Germany, there are already these questions being asked about him and quite a lot of pessimism about their chances to impress. We don't really know how they're going to play because he's used four different gates, took four different tactical setups in eight games, Addo. And he seems to have settled recently on a 4 2 3 1, but I can absolutely see him going back to a three at the back to play against teams who, on paper, are better than Ghana. Um, 
The wingers sit really deep, even if they do play a, a 4-2-3-1, makes it look a bit more like a 4-4-1-1, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, look, Thomas Partey and Mohamed Kadus play in the pivot, which is good. Um, and they're two very, very good footballers. Uh, Caduce in particular, obviously he's been playing up front for Ajax, but he's so good between the lines and he's so good to be able to make those spaces and and wriggle through tackles and actually change Garner's defence into attack. He's very, very press resistant and I like him a lot. And he's going to be crucial if they're going to get anything done. But they've got this kind of new influx of other players who have who have come in to to kind of boost them. The dual nationals, if you will. Dennis Adoy uh, has come in here. Uh, once for Fulham, now famously smashing up the Champions League with Club Bruges. Alexander Jiku and, and Daniel Amati are fine. Salasu is there, but won't play, I don't think. I think they're going to go with Amati. Uh, Salasu's registration only came in late and he basically seems to have lost his spot in the kind of madness of him not going. So he hasn't really he refused to commit, them. didn't he, for ages? Yeah. So basically in that time, uh, Daniel Amati basically secured one half of the side, the side, even though that Salasu is a much better defender. And I like Jiku oh, yeah. as well, to be perfectly Jeez. honest with Jiku's you. Jiku's good, but like, wow, if you have to pick I between Salasu and Amati, yeah, on paper at least, Salasu's miles better. But, but I think hey, Amati will about, start. Yeah, it's about rhythm. They have Kamaldin Sulemana, who I really, really like. Um, I know he's a, a favourite of this podcast. And he's not had... A great well, he had a good first season in France. He was ended prematurely by an injury. Um, and then you kind of go back into it and you're like, oh, he hasn't really got completely going this season. But I do think he'll start and his unpredictability in the final third is something key. Jordan Ayew and Andre Ayew will play in there. And then up top, it's going to be, I think, I genuinely think it's going to be Inyaki Williams, which is great. Like, great vibes. Really delighted for Inyaki that he's going to the World Cup. Um but it does mean that he's basically asked to do a lot of this himself. You know, they'll, they'll look to slide through balls in behind him to run onto, which is what he's very good at. Um, but I do wonder if he's just going to be very, very isolated in this Ghana side because they are, first and foremost, incredibly defensively organised. And, and, and they get that kind of... They have that kind of feel about them that they're trying not to concede. Now, there, there's the kind of unspoken bit where... They are playing Uruguay and obviously the old enemy is back in so many ways and no one will have forgotten that handball by Luis Suarez in a hurry or the missed penalty by Asamoah Jan or any of it. Um, but they, they have a score to settle, I would say, there in, in, the, in the Uruguay game. But I'm, I'm a bit worried and I'm a bit pessimistic about Ghana, despite the fact that the team on paper looks quite good at times. Um, it hasn't quite translated onto the pitch yet. I think this is a new chapter being written with the dual nationals, but I don't think it's been given enough time to breathe for them to really succeed. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. Um, but that's how I feel about it right now. And then South Korea on their 10th consecutive World Cup, back to 1986, which is which is good. Um, that you'll remember that they were in the chaotic group last time in Group F, uh, where they beat Germany on the final day, but then happened to be eliminated by Sweden beating Mexico. They were absolutely yeah. furious. They thought they'd yeah. done it. They were like, no way, that'll, that'll, that'll work. If we win this, we'll go through. Um, Paolo Bento's in charge. We weren't really expecting to be in charge um, because normally they change managers every, within each World Cup cycle. But the COVID crisis kind of threw that off. So he's been left in charge. Um, again, another sequence of poor results this year has left them a little bit all over the place coming in. They'll play in a 4-3-3. They will try and get their front line going aggressively over the top. We're still concerned about whether Song Hyung Min is going to be completely fit to play. Um, he looks like he's going to play in a face mask, which is going to be interesting. But face. you don't need a face to play football. You don't need a face. Uh, Kim Min Jae at the back's been at um, been at Napoli this season. He's been really impressive. Um, but they're conceding way too many goals. Um, they conceded twice to Costa Rica and Paraguay in the last couple of months. They conceded three to Japan, five to Brazil. It's not great. Um, across the course of it. Uh, but Huang Uizhou, who's at Olympiacos this season on loan for Nottingham Forest, did really well for Bordeaux last season. I think he'll play through the middle and then Huang Hee Chan, I think, will play off the left. But the nice thing about that as a front three is that they're really, really interchangeable. They can move around. They can switch positions. They're all comfortable in all three positions in the trident. So that's good. Um, and, and they have that to, to kind of rely on. And look, Hume Son is one of those players who can do things on his own, right? You talked about Kevin De Bruyne earlier, Sam, and, and the fact that he might just bosh his way through a group. 
if they need goals, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if if you mean Son just steps up and is like, don't worry, I'll I'll just do it. this one's mine, I guess. Um, so so yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting to see how it goes. They did okay in qualification. They lost just once in ten games. They finished two points behind Iran and eleven clear of the UAE, who were in the playoffs. And even that loss, to be honest, came after qualification was already secure. So it's going to be interesting. But I just I haven't seen it get going yet, and I'm loath to back them when when I haven't seen it get. If this group, right? If if you were looking at two of the other teams that come into this group, if you'd had Portugal or Uruguay in one of the groups that had, you know, a Japan in it, you'll be going, right, yeah, go on then. You know, these are there to be got at. But I just think that South Korea and Ghana just feel a little bit off the pace and that might just allow Portugal and Uruguay to kind of just batter their way through with just better players being on the pitch. Mm, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I'm a, I, I think mm. I like the look of Ghana on paper, but I worry about how it comes together. I don't actually really like the look of South Korea on paper, although I will be the first to admit that they would be one of the the teams I know the least about here. So uh, a lot of K-League presence and I don't know exactly what to expect there. It's going to be tough. Um, how much can Son do? Uh, I don't think enough is probably the answer. So you go with... Yeah. You go I'll, with... Go, I'll go Uruguay top, Portugal second. Dean? Yeah, I'll do the same. I, on South Korea, I did speak to one person. I said, oh, what's your chances? And uh, he sent back a message which is very, very pessimistic <laughs> like there's really not much expectation there so i think we're right to think this way um yeah Portugal, it's a world cup anything can happen but it's okay look this what picking these obvious picks is not the way it will pan out because like that's just never the way um there have been world cups where and other major tournaments whereby like there's been loads of shocks and loads of the big guns haven't made it through so we're you know we're obviously going on reputation a lot of the time but in this case, I am going to go by reputation and say that those two make it through. Yeah. In the same order as Sam? Yeah. I'm going to flip them. I think actually Portugal do win the group despite being bad. Um, but equally, I, I think that might be the end of the line for them. I think they might get shown up in the round of 16. So mm. we'll see how it goes. And with that, we have all eight groups oh, nailed did. Down. Like we just played a World Cup. Yeah, exactly. It was a, a long two episodes, but it's been... It's been lots of fun. So That's thank good. you so much for listening to this. We are, of course, going to be doing daily drops on our Patreon throughout the World Cup. Every day, we're going to look back at the games that have happened and make sure that we take a little analytical look at how it's all gone down and what we can expect, obviously, going forward as well. It's going to be lots of fun. We'll have podcasts on here on the main feed as well. But once a week, we're going to it's going to come off schedule a little bit across the course of the tournament with just how the games fall, but we'll try and keep it as regular as possible. So with that, all that's really left for me to do is say thank you so much for listening to these two previews. Thank you ever so much to our rank god, Mr. Sam Tai. Thanks, mate. Good Thanks. luck. Enjoy the World Cup. Thank you ever so much to our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Looking forward to it. Come on, England. You sound like your voice is starting to go, which is the best bit of the lot. We haven't even got going yet. I mean, Jack Collins. Just the thought of it. England haven't beaten USA 4-0 yet. Imagine what it'll be like after that. Well, he won't be speaking, I'd imagine, after that game. That one will be left to you and I, Sam. Thank you. Thank you to me. Uh, Thanks to me. I'm great. Thanks, Uh, Jack. I've been Jack Collins, Neighbour of Hearts. Thank you so much for listening as ever. Enjoy the start of the World Cup and we will see you next week, gang. Take it easy. Peace.